everyone. I'm Joanne Berry, special educator. And I'm Dr. Candida Fink. And this is Mental Health Goes to School, where a teacher and a psychiatrist walk into a podcast. You hear a lot about teen mental health and how students struggle at school. But accurate and useful information is hard to find. Over the years, Candida and I have had many conversations and learned from each other's experiences. We realize that we need more people in such a critical conversation. Join us as we talk to and learn from educators, mental health professionals, and parents with a wide range of experiences and expertise. Hi, everyone. I'm Courtney Rao Rogers. I'm the assistant principal for student services at Bigelow Middle School in Newton, Massachusetts. I have been a middle school special education uh, teacher and administrator for my entire career, which started in 1998. And I have been the assistant principal at Bigelow for the last 15 years. In terms of background, I have degrees from Boston College, from Endicott College, both of my master's, and then I'm currently getting my doctorate from the University of Alabama. So yeah. I'm a little busy. <laughs> um, what made me start thinking about social emotional learning, particularly in the education sphere, it's it's actually always been a focus of mine. Being a, a special education teacher, as you know, Joanne knows, um, our kids particularly our adolescent students with disabilities have varying levels of like response and acceptance and coping skills for their disability, whether it's a learning disability in reading, whether it's an emotional disturbance, students with autism, they, they have a wide range of coping skills or not having coping skills. And I can remember in 2008, when I interviewed at my current school, one of the questions they asked me is, was what do I think is the most pressing issue in middle school special education. And this was 15 years ago. I said, middle school mental health. I said, if wow. we can't get a handle on this, it is going to overtake everything we do. And here we are in 2023. Prescient. <laughs> I, I, it was prescient, actually. I Yes, it's it's been my answer all along. And it's been a, a professional interest area because I see so many of my kids struggling with this. And then it's now also like, it just it's a personal interest area. Um, I have been studying it independently for my own learning and, and growth as an educator for years, but I really started diving deep into it in, um, maybe seven years ago in 2016, when I read, uh, Fostering Resilient Learners by Kristen Sewers and Pete Hall, um, which is a tremendous resource about how trauma impacts student learning. Um, and then they put out a book in 2019, um, uh, regulation, this this three R's and that I'm always confused by the title. So I'm going to grab the book so that cool, I get cool. it right. Relationship, responsibility, and regulation. I know we're okay. not on video, but I'm going to no, show you. The book no. um, and it's all about trauma invested practices for fostering learning. Um, what I noticed about the strategies and the foundations of this book is it's my students with disabilities on every page. And what I also noticed is that the skills that the educators that I work with, you know, well-meaning, really well-trained in a really well-resourced district, the skills that they don't have. 
to deal with students' emerging mental health needs like all along. So I began doing a lot of uh, research and reading on trauma-informed instruction, a lot of research and reading on positive behavioral intervention systems, which people have their their opinions about whether PBIS works or doesn't work. They all think it's great for tier one, but they think it's a little lacking in tiers two and three. Yes, and I think a lot of social-emotional learning is a little lacking in tiers two and three, um, particularly for educators. They, they want to just hand it off to a clinical team. And I mean, increasingly, we can't. Special educators are holding all this water for all of their kids at all time and regular right. educators, too. This is just educators in general. And then so I was doing some professional development with my staff. Um, I was doing a lot of mindfulness work with my staff as well. Um, that's another piece to my resume. I'm a trained uh, meditation instructor. Uh, I can do meditation exercises with students and with adults. Um as I started doing this mindfulness work and feeding all this trauma-informed instruction in, you know, that piece of relationships is, is really the key piece to um, helping students with their social-emotional struggles. I've been working, trying to train my staff. Didn't have full support of my principal at the time, and then the pandemic hit. And that just sort of changed the whole ballgame. We, you know, we were home. We were trying to reach kids through screens. And then some of our students with disabilities were coming back in these weird hybrid models and these kids are confused and they're scared and are, am I going to get sick? Why am I here? And nobody else is in the building, like just everything, just exploding all at once. So I started digging a little deeper into the, the trauma informed practices that I do with my students and did some professional development for my district and for my building. And now I'm in the middle of studying social emotional loss uh, learning loss from the pandemic and what kind of strategies are we going to do to move forward? Um, so it's been, it's been, it's, it was first wow. an interest area and now it's a critical need. Yeah. And it was a critical need that I saw 15 years ago. I, again, it's, but it, it is, it's, and I've sadly seen this come to pass. It's not something I, no one ever wants, but it, it's where we're at. I think, you know, ultimately scared and hungry kids can't learn. So if we're we not, love, if we love we're that. not doing Maslow before <laughs> right. Bloom, we're not getting anything done. Yeah, so exactly. No, really, that was exactly that comment was great. So one thing that we're aware of, of course, is that there is people misunderstand what social emotional learning actually means. So do you have like a working definition of what that means? I would hope it, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I will actually say that a lot of the times it changes. Um, in the immediate three years, like social emotional learning has really been very like boots on the ground coping skills right. to deal with with students and how how are our kids building resiliency? How are they increasing their confidence as learners? How are they advocating for themselves and their needs? Um, just societally, one of the things we've seen is that there's so much more openness to mental health awareness and being open about what we're struggling with and, you know, what makes us anxious and what makes us depressed. And there's, we're moving in a really great direction in that area as a society, but kids still don't want to be different, particularly middle schoolers, which I've spent my whole career with. They, they want to, they want to be different just like everybody else. They, they want to, but they want to fit in. Um, but social emotional learning is really about that piece of executive function that helps you manage your life. It is absolutely the foundation of everything 
we do. If we are distracted, if we are upset about something that's happened at home with, you know, a spouse, with a partner, with a kid, we're bringing that with us. We can't help. We're humans. We like we feel the emotions we feel. What we do about those feelings is is the space we get to work in. Right. Um, and I try to impart that with with the, my department and with the teachers I work with. Um, everybody gets to feel their feelings. Um, but what we have to still function in a, a society, in a, in a classroom, in a household living arrangement, you know, in the workplace. So it's it's getting to the like, what is making us feel the way we feel? What is that response that we're dealing with? And then what are some good, healthy ways to work, not around, not in spite, but through that emotion? Because we can't stop feeling our feelings we still have to function. So we have to sort of take what we're feeling and, and work through it rather than around it because denying our feelings is denying a piece of our humanity. So we don't want to do that, but we want to be able to, to get up and, and finish our homework and get up and, and write chapter two of, of this giant paper that I'm writing and deliver the professional <laughs> development for our staff. Okay. You, it's a side where you have no idea, like the anxiety I'm having about it right now is ridiculous. Um, so yeah, there you no, go. I think Only. we do. I think we do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, anyway, so that's what it is. It's it's fine. It's it's owning your feelings and finding a way to work with and through your feelings to continue to be um, a productive and responsible and kind-hearted person in the world. Because if you're not, yeah. you're not learning. You can't learn. You can't. You, you can't do learn. Stuff. You like, can't do this stuff if you don't acknowledge yeah. the feelings and figure out how to regulate and manage and do respond. Absolutely. To there's, there's no way around that. I mean, like I said it earlier, like scared and hungry kids can't learn. No, I, and people, I will get eye rolls. I will get exasperated sighs. And I was, I'm like, no, like, what are you able to do when you're scared and you're hungry and you haven't had enough coffee yet this morning? Are you a fully functional adult? No. no. Why, why do we think our 12 year olds are They're They're even less able to, right to work through that than we are. And some of us aren't that great at it, you know, depending on the day. <laughs> well, that's just, that's one of the things I say, and it sounds like, you know, we've talked about a bunch, doing, you know, that we expect our kids to be on target every minute, every class, every assignment, every day. And that is not in any way how humans work, that they're, you know, this sort of the eye rolling at the idea that if you're scared and tired or angry or any of that, that you're going to work differently than you do mm -hmm. and that, that that that's dismissed is sort of astonishing because that's how we all live our lives and why we expect children to right. not that doesn't enter the school building when we shut that off the minute they walk in the door it's it's really so i mean i'm just in awe of that you know how you recognize this and the work you're doing i mean because the i find you know coming in as a consultant i find that sort of increasing sort of literacy in the in the school world the school building the district level about this stuff whew, it's you know it's challenging but critical it reminds me you know several years ago when i was first starting all this work and particularly bringing the mindfulness piece into the classroom and standardized testing is the the thing of all of our existence, we all have to deal with it in certain ways. Um, and kids don't test well, you know, particularly when you have particularly maybe a leader that thinks that the MCAS is the end all be all. So I realized, you know, all of my students with disabilities have some version of test anxiety. So I wrote them a meditation 
Love that it. to do before the MCAS and not, it wasn't just a sit and close your eyes. Cause sometimes sitting and closing your eyes for kids who have a, like a lot of trauma, closing your eyes is not safe. Like you don't know what's happening. You're very vigilant. So you don't want to close your eyes, but you might want to tap your arms up and down. You definitely want to spin a little bit, like just yeah. your eyes and spin. And then I found that inversions are helpful. Like mm-hmm. get the kid, like take a deep breath and just bend over and just hang there for a minute. Yeah. Like, and then they get up and they're like, I'm like, how do you feel? And they're like, oh, they literally go, oh, <laughs> wow. Like, I know, okay. right? It's, like, it's a, it's remarkable, a, but something, and, and it's like, oh, that's so worked. then they were able to sit and like, you know, do what they so, can test. And it's, so that's something that anybody could do in their classroom, right? It took a minute. You could, you could look out and see everyone's got mm-hmm. fidgets, whatever you could tell they're not with you you could just be like okay why don't we do this thing and and i have i have some teachers in my building that do that all the time i have one right. math teacher in my building who kids come in she's got a do now on the board she's got they do the do now they go over it it's like a two minute do now it's a very quick she reviews the agenda and then before she starts instruction there is an immediate brain break and sometimes yeah. it's a quick game sometimes it's movement sometimes it is like a calm lights are down let's think and breathe and you know, she, she sort of gauges where they are from where the do now was and then yeah. picks what kind of like pre-instructional mindfulness break she wants to do. And it's it's fantastic. It's, I love it's that. Like kids yeah. love that. They they're able to just sort of sit and settle themselves before they get into the hard work of math, because we all know that math is the hardest thing in middle school. At least that's what most kids say. That's a, yeah, so, a lot of kids say that. Yeah. So we see yeah. with teachers trying to do this in small ways. And, you know, I'm trying to reinforce that like these things are like bigger than you think they are. Um, like the kid's going to remember that. Like I remember that. I'm, the, I'm not even her evaluator. And I remember that. And I talk about it all the time because it's and she does it every single day. It is it is her mm-hmm. routines. And those kids do really well. And those kids, when they get seventh grade math, are really prepared. And they have tools in their pocket that they can go to. Like before they start their independent work, they go, okay, I'm going to take a couple deep breaths. So I have all my things. All right, here we go. And it's not perfect. It doesn't work every day. But it's when you reinforce it over and over again, it starts starts to become automatic. But, so those are the then, types of things I want to look at and want to see more of in classrooms. And those are helpful. They could be helpful anytime at any age. You know, they're in a tricky situation at at in college, at the mm-hmm. workplace, with a friend, whatever. Those those kind of things could be helpful, which I think we're getting more and more awareness of, but having simple activities like that that people can um, fall back on at any time, I think, um, is kind of what we want to one one thing we want to encourage. <laughs> um, better better awareness and mm-hmm. um, way, ways to work in that. We did notice that you were saying, and I'm sure this is true across the board anywhere, that some teachers are all in. They're like, yes, I want to do this. I want to do whatever I need to do. And other teachers, either because they feel unsure or anxious themselves about something, are less able or willing to jump in on some of this stuff. So have you found some ways to help teachers be able to engage a little bit more in this work Um in the classroom on a semi, you know, at maybe not every day, like this, this particular teacher, but, you know, ways to address some of the things that they're seeing in the classroom. So when we started our advisory program, which 
again, I think 2016 is when we started our advisory program. We had another middle school in Newton that had been doing it for a couple of years prior to us, and they really enjoyed it. Um, They were doing it four times a week at the time. When we started our advisory program, we were only doing it two periods a week. And we were really fighting against like teachers seeing it as a duty, something else to prep for. And this, our advisory has gone through so many iterations of what it should look like, what it should encompass. Should there be a curriculum? Should there not be a curriculum? Like I have teachers who like don't want to do a single thing in advisory unless I'm handing them a script. And I have other teachers who like, I don't want to do anything advisor. I just want to flow organically, like go back. Like this is not open classrooms of the seventies. Just we're this is not what's happening. <laughs> kids need structure. Oh, I remember you the, they do remember this? I do. Yeah, yeah. Kids yeah. need structure. Um, so we finally landed on this advisory system this year. We got actually a group of teachers together to think about like what worked, what did they want to see? And we had a, a small group of teachers like realize. So it's doing it four times a week. It's 18 minutes long and there are themes for every day of what you can do, but you don't, there's not a specific activity that you have to do every Monday. And they're very, you know, low prep, like high interest types of of activities. You know, we have, everybody has to circle up. We have to make a circle so that we're all facing each other and and faced inwards so that we we can see each other and have a conversation. Nobody can hide behind their desk. Nobody can hide behind their computer. And then, you know, so a typical Monday might be a pit and peak of your weekend. Um, what was something that was that was really happy for you? What was something that could have gone better for you? And it and we allow kids to pass, but most kids won't. Um, and sometimes we'll get a kid like, I got to sleep in every day this weekend. And I mean, these are middle schoolers. All they want to do is like sleep in and play video games. So we're like, great. Did you enjoy playing video games? Do you have a friend online you play? Oh, like, oh yeah, my men. It becomes like when you validate anything they say, like as long as it's not dangerous or destructive, it's something like that. And then, you know, there's other conversations you can have later, but I slept all weekend. That's good. You must've been really tired. Did you need, you needed the rest. And then suddenly like, oh, she's not yelling at me for sleeping in like mom did. So that helped. And then when we started the Sone to Grow program, which is a, a story uh, I'll get to, that became Tuesday's set activity. Um, and we're getting mixed reviews on Sone to Grow. It's the first year. It was, it's, it's, I like it. I think it's a really interesting program. It's got its, you know, its strengths and weaknesses for sure. But what I'm really liking is the ability to see like the mood of the building on any given Tuesday. Like I can go into the dashboard and see how many, like everybody has to respond. How many big smiley faces did we get? How many alerts did we get on a given Tuesday for kids that need like an immediate follow-up? So as we work through advisory people got more comfortable with the themes and started bringing their own flavor into advisory. And, you know, we know the teachers that don't circle up and kids aren't doing anything. And we know the teachers who are really good at circling up and having great conversations with their kids. My advisor, I have an advisory, um, all the administrators have an advisory that they, they co-advise with um, a, a group of students in the room. So, my okay. principal, the other assistant principal, and myself all are in groups and we love them. They're great. It's, yeah. it's a really nice way to connect with a group of kids. And this will be the first year we loop with them. So I'll have the same kids I had last year, oh, nice. this year and next year. Um, my advisory is super competitive. So if we break them into little teams and play categories, they're on, it's like eight o'clock in the morning, but they're on fire. They, <laughs> they, they, but it's something they're good at. They can use their thinking skills. They can be creative because they like to like bend the rules about what actually begins with an H. And they think that's great. They also really love musical chairs. Wow. I, we, it's astounding. They, 
we have an advisory playlist for musical chairs. Like Isn't that, that wild? The they would play musical chairs every day if we'd let them. It's which is one of the things I've noticed about this group of kids that these kids were in fourth grade, I think, yeah, when everything academic. closed, they're still in fourth grade. They right. they they it sort of stopped developmentally. Mm-hmm. This sixth grade is like every once in a while you get a class that really needs recess. This sixth grade need, needs like recess. Like <laughs> like we would literally. take them out at lunch, even when we wouldn't take seventh and eighth grade out at lunch. They are fine to sit yeah. and chat with their friends. They literally needed to run around the field, right? Because they're or, they're still there emotionally. Yep. Um, Makes so much sense. So it's become really, really important for us to do the circle up and to ask kids how they're feeling and to pay really close attention to the things that they're writing when they when they have to respond to a prompt and so on to grow. Um, and we're still getting staff it's that are reluctant to like engage in those emotional pieces. Um, but one of the things that we liked about Sound to Grow is it tracks who's saying what or isn't saying anything. And then we can like go and have a conversation with them. Like, how can we help you? Like, do you know that there's canned responses? Like it says saying even a canned response is better than saying nothing because the kids are looking. Right. You know, like they, they can't vulnerable. actually do the next week's lesson until they look and read the feedback that teachers left them. That's vulnerable. So they put themselves out there. They do. And some kids really do. Like we... You know, as they got used to the system and like responding to a question every week, they would start to really open up into the things they wanted to tell us about, like why their weekend was terrible or what happened at the sleepover and, you know, Mm -hmm. was making them still feel sad on Tuesday. And, you know, I lost my soccer game and I'm really sad about that because I played really well, but my team did, you know, Mm -hmm. which is hard for a sixth grader. That's like the, that's a big emotional thing for them. And then sometimes we will get alerts about kids who say things more uh, significantly. Um, We have alerts set for certain words um, and we'll get an immediate alert. It goes to a leadership team and it goes to the counseling department so that that morning we can grab them, um, you know, before, before lunch happens and check in on what they wrote. Like we saw that you wrote this. Can we, let's talk about it. Is there someone you need us to call? Like, and we can follow up on it. So it's been an interesting experiment. We're, we're continuing to use it. Um, and this is general we, ed, right? This, this is, is across, general ed. The entire, the entire school is the entire doing, school is doing this. Um, in fact, we had all of the principals and some of the counseling departments come and observe all four middle schools in Newton are going to be doing it next year. Well, right. it, does, it just sounds like, um, and how many students do you have per school? My school's the smallest. My school has 456. Um, two of the other middle schools are like hover around 800 and the other one is 700. So there's, so that's know, a lot of people. 2,000 kids tracking their emotions day, every week. But that sounds like such a, um, I don't want to say handy, but it is handy, handy tool that set the flags, set the alerts, mm-hmm. you know, make sure somebody responds to all as much as there must be canned responses like, yay, you and nice to hear or, you know, things like that. But then they know that when they have something that they Mm -hmm. do want to share, but they don't actually have the courage to walk up to somebody and say, hey, this thing happened or Mm -hmm. I feel this way and I don't know why. That they know somebody will. and, And it's like 
then that kind of takes the burden off of them. They don't have to carry the whole conversation. Somebody else exactly. Will, Somebody will else is there. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, some of the kids are like, "This is stupid. I don't want to do it" because they're still not comfortable like with themselves. But some kids are really like they're digging in. Um, yeah. And it's a simple system. You know, I'll talk about it. It's every week. It, it was the the emoji system was actually modeled off the bathroom emojis in the airports. Like, <laughs> how was your bathroom experience today? And it's got like a series of emojis from like a big giant smiling emoji to like a really sad, angry emoji. There's five of them. Um, you know, I feel really good, good, just okay. Me- I think it actually says meh. I'd have to go in and look, but it might actually say Probably. meh. Yeah, that's a And then awful. <laughs> the, the last one is I feel awful. Um, so they click an emoji. And for the first half of the year, we did, we wrote our own questions. Like we just were trying to get them used to like, checking in and writing something. So we, you know, describe what, you know, describe a celebration you you have with your family or, you know, what did you do to get ready for school this year? And some kids are like, nothing. I woke up and got up, you know, like, you know, what's your favorite food? Like just things just to get them talking that were relatively innocuous, but could also like see like who's going to respond, who isn't going to respond. And then after we came back from the holiday break, we started using um, the curriculum pieces so that the Tuesdays are now connected to a lesson, like a five to seven minute lesson about a self-regulation or coping skill or like, a, you know, a feeling. And then there would be a slideshow. Sometimes there's a video. Sometimes there was an interactive game. And then they do their check-in. Their check-in was related to the skill we were trying to teach. Um, we used a sense of belonging, uh, self-regulation, and third one this year, um, social connectedness. Like, why, do you, why is it important to be connected socially? So, and those ran like eight weeks each. So the kids would do, and there was a pre-survey and a post-survey that they would take at the same time after the curriculum. So we could see, did they learn anything? Um, we, we had a, our kids, like we're hovering by the end of the year, like over half of our kids generally felt good about being in school. Like they rated themselves like that mid-level emoji or higher for by the end of the year. And we had less than 10% of our kids scoring like still feeling awful about school and themselves. But when we looked at the list of kids, like these were kids we knew about, like these were right. kids, like they, they, we, they had existing counseling relationships, but so it wasn't a surprise to us. However, it was really good for us to see like how in the year they would fluctuate because we had yeah. the same group of 15 kids all year long. We could see like yeah. who was really high one week and maybe really low next week. So we could even pull individual kids, even if they didn't rate, low enough to get an alert to leadership and counseling like we as their advisor could say you know i noticed you had like three mess in a row is there something you want to talk to me about um we could just we could send them that message and so on to grow and kids you know they knew they get their creators out they do their lessons and you know largely are responding to it i'm, I'm curious to see what it's going to be like this year with like a full year of like the curriculum modules that we have uh to go through and then we'll have two of our grades. They'll have they'll be their second year with Sonda Grow. So it'll be curious to see how yeah. our emotional data might change now that they're used to it, now that they know how it works. Right. Like, are they going to be more open? Are we going to see greater fluctuations in their mood over the course of the year? Um, Sonda Grow is really great about sharing that data with us too. Like they sent us like charts at the end of the year, like tracked our whole school year, like so we could see what our data was. Um we're one of the few like single schools that were doing it last year. Um, right. A lot of other districts are doing it. Like the Nashville Public Schools does this K-12. Wow. 
Yeah. I don't know if they're doing the curriculum piece of it, but they're doing the the weekly check-ins like mm-hmm. K-12. Right. Which, so you can, it's modular. You can pick and choose. Yep. And we don't even, yeah, we can pick which modules we want to focus on as well. Like, you know, there's, there's enough for an entire year's work of eight, uh, year's worth of eight week lessons. And we can decide like, what does the building need to focus on this week? Like when we did a self-regulation, it was right after February break. And we're like, yeah, we need to, this is what we're doing. <laughs> oh, uh, especially, yeah. especially for um, kids who actually need to spend time running around uh-huh. um, in a recess mode, that, that would definitely be a thing. And that, that's something we've noticed as well at the high school level is that some of our eighth and ninth grade we have a middle school program at my school too but some of the eighth and ninth graders seem to be i don't want to say stuck but kind of have some of the same characteristics you assume that they were having when they were in the Mm -hmm. younger grades and they didn't get that chance to um, develop some of those social and regulation skills so i know this is something we talk about at our school is like how are we going to get these people to be you know, like 18 year olds when they're 18. It's just when they leave us. Um, Any thoughts on how, how that's working at all? There's a piece of this for me that is just, it's the repetition and the consistency of expectations. Like I, you know, I've said before, like kids need structure. And I'm not saying that in like a 19, like 50s kids need structure, but kids need structure. Like even your kids that act out the most, they're the ones that are crying out for structure because they have no control over what's going on anywhere else in their lives. And school has a structure. So there it's, even though it's negatively, their behavior is negatively reinforcing, they really are looking for somebody to respond to the things that they're doing. And I just, you know, I am of the mind where we just keep reinforcing what's good about the kids because we need to build up that resiliency. It isn't so much perseverance and grit. I mean, perseverance and grit are so racially coded and like what we're setting for expectations for kids. Like, so, but persevere, resilience is something we all have. Like, it's what do we do in the face of adversity? You know, an adversity could be a lost my soccer game. Adversity could be a parent died. Adversity could be I'm now experiencing homelessness. And, you know, I'm keeping that a secret from everyone around me. Like resiliency is the tool that's going to get students from point A to point B. Resiliency is what we're going to end up, you know, teaching. That's the best tool we're going to end up teaching them is how to be resilient in the face of a problem, whether it's a tiny problem or a big problem. And the, the the foundation to teaching kids how to be resilient is forming a relationship with them. You know, there's, you know, there's been lots of, you know, talk over the years about like kids need to have one trusted adult in school. And this is true. Kids do need to have one trusted adult in school. I'd argue that they probably need more than one because sometimes that trusted adult like has the flu or sometimes that trusted adult's on a professional day. So, and I got into a fight with mom last night. Who am I going to next? If you have skills about resiliency, you can work through that problem and figure out what your next step is going to be. And so when you're building relationships with kids and when you are teaching them, you know, what being in a relationship is like, you know, a friend relationship, a teacher relationship, a relationship with your family, when you teach them what that's like, when you teach them what the responsibilities for being in those relationships are, and you reinforce that and you tell them that they're able to do it, and you show them that they're able to do it by reinforcing the things they're good at and praising their strengths and 
teaching them when they make a mistake that they are not the mistake, that they made the mistake and this is what you can do next time. They then are better able to like regulate their behavior and demonstrate better resiliency skills. So this is what I, I think we need to do as we move forward is we really need to focus on resiliency because resiliency, you know, there's emotional resiliency, there's academic resiliency, there's, you know, there's all sorts of things. And that's the tool that I think is the most helpful for all of us, like adults and children. What strikes me is a theme through so much of what you did, and you brought it up earlier, so much of what you do in the advisory and in the work and in this work of building resiliency is starting with validation. Um, even the reporting in and getting response from your teachers, that is like the ground point is we see you, I hear you, <laughs> uh, your feelings are valid and, uh, and your struggles are valid. Those are real. And also we know you can, you know, we know you have strengths and we know there are things we can help you do better. But the, but the validation to be seen and validated and not corrected or judged immediately, mm -hmm. at least from the, you know, in my, in my work and you, you said it, it's, it's like, it's like it's this tool that is just magical. It's like that starts everything. Um, doesn't fix everything. It's not perfect. Not every kid wants to hear it at every moment, but it's a fundamental tool. Um, and I think the kids, will actively not listen to it sometimes in the moment no, they don't want to hear just it. so dysregulated, but you say, say it anyway. You say it anyway, and you keep coming back yeah. to it, and they know that it's always there, you know? And right, absolutely. This is not like, oh, I said that, and now this kid is going to, you know, be magically, but it's, but the, the coming back to it. And I think that's one of the things that can be challenging for teachers who are still learning or who still have an evolving skill set in this area is that that validation for kids who are struggling for an angry kids in particular, you know, so like find it in your somewhere, even if they don't listen or they, you know, to keep doing it and keep coming back to it. Um, I think that's a real, an evolving skill set for lots, lots of us. Oh, and, always. Uh, well, and I said this on our last interview, our previous guest, um, we did talk about validation quite a bit. And when I started teaching, or even sooner than that, that was not a natural thing for me to do or to even understand why I would want to do it. It's like, but once you start doing it, it makes a, it makes such a difference. And especially with students, like when you get new students or, um, you know, kids that have been resistant and you do, and it's like, oh, that must be hard. Whatever it is, it could be something that we don't think is worthy of the amount of angst it seems to generate. But then you remember they're 12 or 14 and, you know, these different things have happened to them over the past year. And it's like, oh, that is really bad. I can understand why you're so upset that you left your sweater on the bus. You know, it's <laughs> like, will probably still be there when, tonight <laughs> right, when you yeah. get on the bus. But in the meantime, you know, or something as minor as that, you know, certainly. But yeah, once you say that, they're like, all right. And I bet you the nurse has an extra sweater in case you're really cold, you know. <laughs> or is it just you're you're worried about losing something or whatever it is. But yeah, but just validating it. Validating the worry. Maybe yeah. it's like, oh, if you think you're going to be cold because some of our classrooms are cold, maybe, you know, you can borrow a sweater. What about that? Oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> right. It's, and it's, it's just being direct with them all the yeah. time. Yeah. The other thing I find myself fighting against is not fighting against, but coming up against is 
when you're looking to be, you know, you know, teaching kids resiliency and validating feelings and trying to, uh, you know, approach, you know, relationships and interactions with kids from a restorative perspective, people think that there are no consequences. Like I can mm-hmm. validate your feelings about something and still give you a consequence for the action. Mm-hmm. Like they are not mm-hmm. mutually not exactly. Yeah. They're not. They're um, not. Yeah. Agreed. It, 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 people think the new Massachusetts discipline law is like tied our hands against like impounding, you know, imposing strict punishments on kids or consequences for kids. So sure, it's it's not that it's keeping us from doing it. It's making us think about why we're choosing the different types of consequences we're choosing and are they the right consequences? And that's what I think people, people just want to rely on like knee jerk, like fix them or get them out of my room. And that day is done. The day is well, like I've been over it for a long time, but honestly, like just looking at like where our kids are and what our kids need from us, like that day is done. Like we, we can't fix them and we can't get them out of your room. And we can still be helpful and we can still teach some things mm-hmm. if we start from this foundation of, um, you know, social, emotional learning and relationship building and teaching them resilience. Yes, exactly. And and, yeah, understanding, like you said, you made a mistake. You aren't a mistake. You made a mistake. You did this thing that we don't do in this room or in this school. And now we have to have a consequence, but it's not going to be you in a room all by yourself or you out of school for a day or some other um, really harsh punishment is going to be what's a pro, you know, why did you do this thing? And who did you hurt and what repairs are we going to make? And even if somebody wasn't physically hurt, mm-hmm. you know, the action was there and you need to do something about that and accept the consequences. And we have found, because many of the students at my school have been expelled or in, you know, in school detention or whatever those stupid things are. Um yeah. And of course, we can't even do detention because the kids come from so far away. Right. And we wouldn't want it because detention is the punishment for whoever has to, whatever the adult is who has to stay. But once they realize it's like, okay, you might, if you did something really bad, you might be out of school for a day. But you'll come Mm -hmm. back and make repairs and we'll move onward. Or you might have to, I don't know. I can't even think of what kids have done, but we have, oh, we did have a kid a few years ago when she first got there, she threw laptops a couple of times and she thought we were going to kick her out. And once we figured out, she figured out that we were not going to kick her out. She's totally settled down and mm-hmm. became a really uh, strong student and strong member of the community. So and it's like, and that's the other thing. We have people here who care about you. Right. So much. Relationship. Sure is, Relationship, yeah. right? That's, That's it. So essential. Yeah. And I mean, all behavior is a, a form of communication, okay. right? You know, that's one of the, you know, that's a, it's a very like functional behavioral way of looking at it, but it's all communication. They're trying to tell us something that they don't have the right. words for, but something feels weird. And I don't know how to say it, but I know how to flip you the bird. I know <laughs> yeah, exactly. how to call you something really inappropriate. I know how to flip a table or like throw yeah. a laptop at you. It's going to get you to pay attention to me, which is what I'm actually needing is somebody mm-hmm. to pay attention to me. So right. Right. it just becomes back to teaching them the right way to get that attention. 
Exactly. It's often that they can't. They don't know how to do differently or they're so dysregulated that that's all that appears. That's the only behavior they, you know, have creating or that Mm -hmm. their lizard brain has, you know, sort of entered into some kind of survival mode or trauma response or just fight or flight. And so we got to wait that out until that calms down. And then we can come back and say, well, you know, let's think about that. What do we, what is that? But you're okay. We, you are still a respected, loved person of this com- in this community, even though you're having a hard time. And I think yeah. that is such a fundamentally different message that the work you're doing and the work you do at your school and what, it's just so fundamentally different than that sort of more traditional bad child consequence, bad child, and it's it's so much more in line with evolving mental health and more successful learning and and you know emphasizing these things relationship validation, resiliency. I mean, it's it's so powerful. Um, and it sounds like you've been sort of leading you and, and, and as you've brought people onto your merry band there, people, and this is the first person we spoke to, the first interview we did was similar. She brought in a, a particular kind of program, a DBT program, but the idea of having to really cheerlead mm-hmm. all along to sort of help people see the value and, and put programs in place. It's, that's a it's work, but it's so worthwhile. Yeah, and it required a, a switch in leadership to really get something oh, actively happening in my building. I, I will I will say that um, we have a new principal. She's been our, she's starting her third year this coming fall, and she wanted to take this on. Like she knew okay. not she knew it was a, she knew it was a need for students, and she also knew that I had been acquiring this specific niche skill and lots of information. So she let me run with it. And she let me like research different programs and she had used a, a like the fledgling version of Sewn to Grow when she taught internationally. It was a very much simpler program at the time. And when I was looking at it and talking to the the people that run it, I'm like, I think this would work for our building. Like, I, you know, I think, you know, kids like to be on their computers. Kids like I'm like it, it was going to hook them in. And then as they got used to it, it was the, we were going to start to see the results later. And it was, you know, it's going to take a little bit, but sure. having support from your leadership team to set this agenda and hold other people to this agenda is is critical because if if you as an adult are required to validate the feelings of the kids that are in front of you and you know that that's the expectation you're going to do one of two things you're going to you're going to either take that deep breath and and work through your own anxiety and start practicing the things or you're going to get off the train um we had six retirements this year we had a few people get off the train um but the people who are staying are like no this is where we have to go and it is also tied into some work that we're doing on being anti-racist educators which i'm on the planning team for that instruction as well and people keep thinking it's one more thing it's one more thing it is not one more thing Uh because part of being an anti-racist educator is understanding and validating the experiences of your students of color and how they are different from yours and they are bringing different perspectives and experiences and you know life joys and traumas to the classroom and they can't leave those at the door just like you can't leave who you are at the door when you become a teacher so you have to then create the environment that is validating their you know their lived experience as well as you know making it a safe place for them to learn it's still Huge. all about making it a safe place to learn for kids. Like, but so 
So that's the other thing I've been trying to do. Like, these are all the same thing. Like we are making an environment that's safe for kids to learn. That's the priority. Huge. I mean, how can you, how can you learn if you're not safe? Right, Joe? Sorry. Exactly. Well, and I was going to say, I went before you said, you know, half a dozen people retired. I was thinking to myself and I, I bet you some people, well, across the country, people have chosen since the pandemic to maybe retire sooner than they might have had that not happened because it is harder. But if you do the work up front, like you're describing, um, it then becomes second nature. And that's part of, I mean, it's a, it's a different way of approaching education than many people learn to be educators, you know, especially toward the end of, of career educators. It's like, no, I, yeah, I, I'm sure some people are like, yep, this is, this is all good, but you're going to do it. I'm not going to do it, right. which, I, which is to say, to validate that it is a lot of work. I mean, being an educator is a lot of yes. work, no matter, no matter how you do it, or it should be. Um, it's a ton of work. It's- some things get easier, but every, I mean, those kids like when you th- like a few years ago, I realized that my students weren't alive for um, 9-11. Just and having this conversation with somebody the other day, Chad. A, a, a student, I, whatever year that was, a student submitted something. I think we were doing poetry or something. Submitted and had the wrong date. Put 9-10 or 9-13 or something. And I'm like, were you writing this about 9-11? Because I know it's wrong and everybody who was alive that knows it's wrong. This is ingrained in our minds. We all know where we were. We all know what we were doing. You can't put a different date. Oh, really? Like, yes, really. So, you know, the the way students approach their own world and their education has changed so much that we have to change with them. And if if you're done doing that, then it's probably better to not, you know, to hold up other people from doing it. But um, exactly. And, and I think that's part of the exodus of, of educators nationally right now is I feel like a lot of educators just feel like they can't do another thing because we just keep getting one more thing and one more thing and one right. more thing on yeah. our plate. I mean, I remember during the, you know, the full on closures when we had to do all this additional special education paperwork for the state and and I'm getting these like mandates from my directors that I'm then having to tell my staff, like, you have to do all this additional paperwork that you've never had to do before. And we have no model for you, but you're going to be required. It's going to be required. Like I had staff like bursting into tears. And then I'm like, oh my God, I can't ask them to do one more thing. And they're like, Courtney, it's not you. We're not upset with you. We just, <laughs> what, like, like, what else do they think we, like, how much more do they think we can do? And, and Absolutely. So, an equally important part of like teaching kids resilience is working on your own yeah. resilience. Yeah, which is why I think yeah. that mindfulness piece for the adults is so important. You know, and everybody, some people think mindfulness is like kind of woo-woo and like, oh, I don't need to meditate. Like, you don't need to sit and go ohm cross-legged in a dark room. Like mindfulness is as easy as like closing your eyes and taking a deep breath before you respond to an email that sent you spiraling or like getting up, taking a walk and then coming back. Yeah. Right. And responding to that email or handing it to somebody else. And like, can you read this before I send this? Because I wrote it and I, I need a second pair of eyes on it yeah. before I make this worse than it. It's like, 
Right. I mean, that mindfulness is like being thoughtful and present and like being in the moment that you're in. And, right. you know, sometimes that That's moment right. is crap, but you use your, a, your resilience skills to work through that moment and you get to the other side. Right. right. It's powerful. We right. have to do it's it as so much powerful. as they do. For, and it's so, I, for the teachers, for the people in the building, it's a, it's as, as important. And you can't do this work, I don't think, without supporting your teachers and your, your you know, your educators in their own you know, ability to take care of themselves, to reduce stigma about asking for help, to recognizing when they're burnt, like, you know, it just, and, and, and then it's okay. And then it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to communicate, to teach, give them tools and also allow them to not be okay. You know, that that's so essential that that's part of that sort of culture of, you know, pro mental health <laughs> in a, in a school, in a district, um, in a classroom that I think, is so much of all this work and the anti you know, you brought, I just, that anti-racist work is without it. It's all, it's of a piece. It is not, mm -hmm. it is not different work. It is of a piece in supporting our students and their development and their mental health um, and acknowledging that we can't understand where we can't know what a child is coming to us with, what they're sitting with in any given moment in my office or in your classroom, you know, um, it is hard, hard, hard work. But so important. It, it is hard, hard, hard work. And I've been doing it for a long time. So there's pieces of it that feel second, oh, second nature to me. So when I have to talk about it formally and I'm like, wait, wait am, I, am I doing this right? Am I saying the right things? Am I giving people the information they need? But I, I think ultimately I am, as I've been trying to organize yep. like my formal writing about it. It's like, am I cheating? Right. <laughs> Come back no, to your paper. You're, you're not harder. cheating. I'm, that's you've exactly. You've been doing this research since 2016. Now you actually get to put it all together and something that's organized. Right. So, right. Like, yeah. it's, Absolutely. It's, there are days where it, it's really hard. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, but then, you know, but then I, I will say there's also one of the things I had to learn because I've been doing this for 10 years um, at first was take the wins where you get them and they look different than what you might have thought coming from regular education into special education or just from the general population of adults into a population of teens. The wins just look different. So learn to recognize them and celebrate them where you can huge yeah so they're they're definitely there they they look so different you know particularly these kids who are you know exhibiting so much school refusal you know we have teachers like just yeah. come to school and like no like this kid made it to school today right great yeah he spent all morning in the guidance office don't care so what so what? don't don't care he's but, in the but, building but, he made it in the building or like a kid we have another kid who's got like chronic attendance problems and it's been a like a family like the entire family had chronic attendance problems and my assistant principal like wanted him to get the building so like basically bargained with him like if you come to school like 20 out of the next 25 days you will be allowed to go on the end of the year trip and it was like between these two days and, and he did it. He came. And then the day before the trip, he was absent. And one of his teachers is like, does he get to go on the trip? Because he was like, yes, he gets to go on the trip. Like, what is keeping this kid off this trip going to accomplish other than you exacting your pound of flesh on this? Because he didn't meet your expectations. Like we made a we made a it's deal with this kid. He he did what he was asked to do. He gets the thing we promised him like that. That's also being like. You know, being true to your word and, and right. yeah. you know 
kids need to trust you. And like, if you go back on your word on something like that, they're not going to trust you. And you're like, the high school's not going to have any worse problem with this. Kid. But so you have to. Like, so true. You can't well, just change the, move the goalposts. No, you that's, can't just, it's, yeah, that's back to the relationships. If mm-hmm. you can't trust yes. people. Yes. If I, if these people told me I could do that, if I did this, I got that. And then they yanked it away from me. Why would I expect anything different in the ninth grade? And, you know, screw yep. them. I'm on, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it'll just happen yeah, again. The school refusal thing is still a huge piece that even though we know all the strategies and we know all the, the things we have to do, I find it the stickiest piece. It's hard. To overcome. Yeah. Because you know, there's only, there's truly only so much a school can do about right. school refusal. Yeah. There is a huge clinical piece yeah. and probably some family work that some families are very willing to engage in and some families don't have the resources and don't Man. Right, for it's not accessible. Aren't for some. able to hear about the resources for whatever. So you just have to work with what you've got, and right. I think yeah. that's the, the some of the hardest hardest work when you know you've got you've got this little tiny piece of a pie. Like it's and you can do everything you can with it, but sometimes it's not going to be enough. I will say it has improved, and that we're not calling the police to the house to bring in school refusal kids, which was the the rule of thumb up until, oh, not that long ago, even in my no. um, community, which, you know, is fairly mental health literate in many, many you know, corners of it. I, I was flabbergasted at how long that continued to be. They had this company that they, that was marketing themselves to go to the house and, you know, do this basic show of force kind of business on, and newer show the district I live in was paying them to do this. And that was not that long ago. Um, so thankfully, I think there has been a move, if not universally, but in general, to understand that these are not behavior problems to be met with a show of force or, you know, tr- you know, truancy officers, that's not going to solve the problem. Um, but those are persistently dense, 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 you know, from the clinical end. Um, and then try, that's one of the places working clinically with the school is so critical. And also still sometimes you're just not, you're not going to get a kid to school no matter what you do. So sometimes that doesn't happen, you know? So, so, but having your kind of team on the other end, you know, makes all the difference, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and it takes a village as, it as we frequently say, it takes a all village. All the time. Um, I see we have been chatting for most of an hour here and i think we could go for quite a bit more so um thank you so much courtney and and when you get your dissertation done we will definitely want to hear more courtney part two (laughs) thank you so much for coming here and helping us for inviting me this is this is it was actually really good for me to like talk about this and good. synthesize and make the notes like my little screen over here with the talking yeah. points like I need to so pull it good. all in and sound like I know what I'm doing. So well, <laughs> well you certainly absolutely yeah. do. And it's I do know like when you're trying to put together, it sounds like you're really working on this paper right now, whatever. You know, it really helps sometimes to try to teach it to somebody else, you know. Oh, I made and... a note on a sticky, like while we were talking and like put it up here to make sure that I added it to like <laughs> there you go. Perfect. <laughs> well, it was a pleasure to meet you. Right. And we're just thank you so much. And we'd love to have you back again in the future. The resources will be in the show notes uh, or send us a, a quick message if you have other questions and we'll uh, we'll get them to Courtney. Really nice to meet you, Courtney. Take care. Nice meeting you as well. Bye bye.